You're listening to an Al Mahdi Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin al-ma'asumin al-madlumin. Salawat. Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum everybody. It's good to see you all here today. I haven't scared you away. Um, so we're gonna. So this is our third session, third of four in this tafsir series. Um, in the previous, in the very first week, we looked at preliminary discussions around the topic of shaitan and how mufassirin deal with it. All the different kind of discussions that come up. The second week, we looked at shaitan psychology, and we examined especially his own words and what he promises or threatens to do to Adam and the children of Adam. Um, and we concluded that there were four aspects of his psychology. Um, his superiority complex, his kind of one-eyed view of things, right? Very kind of one-sided tunnel vision. Um, we looked at his despair, okay? And we also looked at his sense of victimhood and blaming Allah <coughs> for his problems and kind of refusing to take responsibility. So that, that's where we left it. Now today I actually wanted to go into into his strategies um, and look at them and uh, as his toolbox. So what, what are the strategies that he uses? So just to recap the story, Adam and Hawa are placed in heaven, or, or the garden as it's called, and they're given everything they could possibly want. Okay? They don't experience any physical discomfort at all. So Allah tells them that they're not going to be hungry in it, they're not going to be cold, they're not going to have thirst, they're not going to feel the heat of the sun. Okay? And then they're told in very emphatic, very specific terms to take shaitan as an enemy. Okay? So if we have a look at the language as to exactly what Allah says to Adam and Hawa. So you've got everything in your handouts. I've, you know, some of the ayat I haven't actually put on the PowerPoint. But you've got everything in the handout. So firstly, his warning says, فَقُلْنَا يَا آدَمْ إِنَّ هَذَا عَدُوٌ لَكَ وَلِزَوْجِكَ Okay? So he actually uses هَذَا. That means he's pointing. The word هَذَا in Arabic is this, but it's when you're pointing to someone. Or he's pointing to something. So clearly, he's being very direct. Okay? He's not leaving anything to ambiguity. He's not talking about a past thing or something in their minds. He's pointing. He's saying, Okay, and again he's using that noon shadda, very emphatic, right? And let him not expel you from the garden. And then he even tells them what will happen if they do let him, right? So there's even the consequences. Lest you become miserable, okay? So it's like even, even when they say in parenting, when you talk to children, right? You've got to be very, very kind of precise with your instructions, nothing fluffy and wishy-washy, right? You've got to get down on their level, point to exactly what you want them to do, tell them exactly what it is you expect them to do, and then also say the consequences if, it, if they don't do it, right? So Allah says, does the same thing. There's nothing ambiguous there. You know, everything is very, very clear. Even in this other ayah, Ya Adam, uskun anta wa zawjukal jannah, fakula min, min, it's supposed to say minha, haythu shi'tuma. Okay, or Adam, dwell with your mate in paradise and eat thereof wherever you wish. Okay, anywhere you wish. It's a garden. It's lush. There's lots of fruits, lots of trees. But he says, وَلَا تَقْرَبَ 
هذه الشجرة. Again, he's pointing. Right? He's showing them exactly which tree they're not supposed to approach. And there's one specific tree. And then he tells them the consequence. فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ Lest you be among the wrongdoers. So there's no ambiguity left. There's no kind of, you know, but what if we were to eat from it, nothing's going to happen. They know exactly what's going to happen. And yet, he manages to make them slip. Okay? So it says in the Quran, فَأَزَلَّهُمَ الشَّيْطَانُ عَنْهَا فَأَخْرَجَهُمَا مِمَّا كَانَ فِي Then shaitan caused them to stumble from it and he expelled them or dislodged them from that state that they were in. So they come, from, come out of one state into another. And the question is how? Okay, so how, what are the tactics that he uses to do that? Um, and most of these are in Surah A'raf. Obviously, you know, like we said, the stories in different places in the Qur'an, and Allah recounts a story in different places because he's giving different perspectives. Okay? So it's not just that okay, he mentions it here and then he mentions it again and Allah likes to repeat himself. It's not like that. There's always a different angle that he's looking at. Okay? So the tactics, the six strategies mainly that he uses with Adam and Hawa. <coughs> okay? Firstly, it says, and you've got, you've got the Arabic in your handout, it says, فَوَسْوَسَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ لِيُبْدِيَ لَهُمَا مَا وُورِيَ عَنْهُمَا مِنْ سَوْآتِهِمَا Okay, so the first thing is this waswasa. And all of us know Surah Nas where we say مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ We seek refuge in Allah from the waswas, right? These whisperings of this creature, the shaitan, who keeps kind of slinking away, right? They say he keeps withdrawing and then he comes back and then he withdraws and he comes back. So he whispers in the chests of men, right? So that, that's, the, that's the characteristic of this waswas, is these whisperings and they're directed at the chests of men. It doesn't say the hearts of men. So this waswas, when you read the Fasid, it talks about them being like doubts, like insinuations, um, misgivings, things like that. And they're usually, they talk about, because they're in the sudur, in the chests, the chest is where the heart is. It's like, it's like, your, it, it's like an enclosure, right? It's like your, your property, so your driveway, your front gate, right? That's your chest. And then your qalb is your actual house. So he doesn't have access into your house unless you let him. But he keeps knocking, right? He keeps knocking at the gate. He keeps coming, withdrawing, coming, withdrawing. So he comes and goes. But entrance into the house is only if you let him. And his waswas is all to do with unresolved emotions, unanswered doubts, um, things to do with the unseen, things to do with the future. Okay, it's all those kind of things that he plays on your mind, right? Um, and that's what he does. فَوَسْوَسَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ So he used waswasa, he whispered to them, right? His aim, Allah says, wasn't to make them eat from the tree. That was a means to an end, right? His end, I've put there in gold, his end is to expose their shame to them, to expose their nakedness to, to themselves. Right? Something that Allah's created as beautiful, He is then kind of distorting reality. 
and exposing to them their shame. So that's what he wants to do. That's his ultimate goal. It's not just to make them eat from the tree. That's just a means to an end. Okay. So the first one is waswas. Second one, this is really interesting. He says, فَدَلَّاهُمَا بِغُرُورِ There's two things here, okay? In the ayah, there's dallahuma, and the next one is غُرُور. The verb dalla in Arabic comes from the word for bucket. Dalu. Dalu is a bucket, right? And dalla is when you cast a bucket down into a well, and then you pull it up very slowly. Now, the funny thing is, this, this, this root has only been used in the Quran twice. One in the story of Prophet Yusuf, right, when they chuck him in the well and a caravan cub comes and it says, right, he cast his bucket down, but it uses another form of the verb, it says, right, and in this one it says, now there's a difference between them, it's the same difference as you have between the verbs, for example, nazzala, means to reveal, like nazzal al-Qur'an and anzal al-Qur'an, right? Allah uses both in the Qur'an to mean He revealed the Qur'an. But anzala is usually when He talks about revealed, revealing the Qur'an in one go, right? So in Surah Qadr, inna anzalnahu fi laylatul qadr, right? We revealed it on the night of Qadr in one go. But when He talks about all the instances when it re He re reveals it to the Prophet during those 23 years, it says nazzala, it's a gradual revelation. So Allah makes a distinction between two types by using two different verbs from the same root, right? Anzala and nazzala. And the same thing happens here. Adla means a casting down, okay? So when, when the caravan casts down, when the people cast down their bucket, it's a one thing, one-time thing. They put down the bucket, it goes down. But when they pull it up again, when you reel a bucket back up, it's not so easy because there's water in it. Then it's fadalla. Right, so that's the verb that shaitan, that's used for shaitan, in that he very, very, very slowly, like drawing a bucket up, he reels them in, okay? It's a gradual baiting. He doesn't do it in one go, and it takes a long time, okay? So Allah says, فَدَلَّاهُمَا بِغُرُورِ He kind of dangles a carrot in front of them, and very slowly ensnares them, very slowly traps them in, okay? So his tactic here is stealth and gradual baiting. It's not something that he does um, all at once, okay? And it's this, it's this sense of, you know, it's probably he went to them and, and, you know, it wasn't like eat from the tree. And they weren't stupid enough to say, okay, <coughs> right? And he does the same thing with us, with believers. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, that's a, that's a really good haram thing to do. Why don't you do it? Just do it, you know? And we go and do it. It's not like that. He comes ever so slowly, right? With all the things that are not haram. So, but God didn't say don't look at the tree. You're just admiring his creation and appreciating the beauty, right? God didn't say don't smell the tree. He didn't say don't touch it. Come on, don't be so fastidious. You can touch it, right? God didn't say don't, you know. So all of these kind of things, all the little footsteps towards haram, which aren't actually haram. And he does the same with us. And he says, فَدَلَّاهُمَا بِغُرُورِ so he uses deception to do that. Ghurur is a mixture of deception and pride. The same word is used for pride as well. So he does that by giving them false confidence in themselves, false confidence in their own powers. Um, he distorts reality. Okay. So for example, especially when it comes to Allah, right? 
in the Quran asks Kareem. What is it that's deluded you about your kind Lord? So when he uses ghurur, he deludes us about Allah, right? That we may be going through a test and we think Allah's just not answering my prayers, right? Or Allah's given up on me. Or why, you know, I've, I've been for Umrah and I've done all this and I've done these amals and I'm, there's still no change happening <coughs> in my life. Or um, entertaining delusions about Allah. Um, even the other way, making us feel more powerful, more audacious in how we speak to God or how we, how we behave and things like that. So all that is a gharra, right? He, he deluded them. And then he goes a step further. He says, وَقَاسَمَهُمَا إِنِّي لَكُمَا لَمِنَ النَّاسِحِينَ So, qasama, he swears. And there's only one thing you can swear by is Allah, right? That's a real qasam. So he swears by Allah. And he tells them that I am a sincere advisor to you. So his swearing by Allah, again for them, it's, they've never heard a lie before. Right? So he swears by somebody, by, by a being that's supreme, that they adore, that they worship. And he says, I am a sincere advisor to you. Okay? And even in that verse, right, the amount of emphasis in the language, وَقَاسَمَهُمَا inni. Okay, that inna is emphatic. Lakuma la, that la I had told you about is emphatic. nasihin. I'm indeed a sincere advisor to you. Okay, so again, that's, that's a tool that he uses with us too. Right, in various forms, there's shayateen of humans and, and, um, and devils. Right, when people want to sell their goods even. Right, wallahi is very common. Right, when you're trying to make a point, or you're trying to convince somebody of something, it's very easy to, you know, I swear to you. But that's, it's a, it's a, it's a tool that can be misused very easily. Okay, the wallahi is a, to be taken with a pinch of salt. Another thing he does is he plants doubt in their mind through questions. So he asks the question, هَلْ أَدُلُّكَ عَلَى شَجَرَةِ الْخُلْدِ وَمُلْكِ يُبْلَى Okay, so notice how he phrases it. He asks them a question and he plays dumb, as if he doesn't know about this tree. And he's saying, shall I guide you to a tree of eternity and a kingdom that's never going to decay? Right, so he plays dumb and he tries another angle and tries to pique their curiosity. Now maybe they're thinking to themselves, oh, this could be a different tree. This isn't the haram thing that we've been told about. Now this is something else, right? So he comes at another angle, which he does with us too. He calls things by a different name. Okay? He calls, doesn't call it the forbidden tree. He calls it the tree of eternity. Right? Now, if you were to call fornication, fornication, people would laugh at you. That's why we call it an affair, because it all sounds very businesslike. Right? Um, you know, sins are mistakes and slips. They're not sins. To say, to say the word sin in civilized culture is, is quite weird. You don't, you don't say the word sin. Um, you know, telling a lie is bending the truth, or a white lie. You don't call a genocide or a mass killing. You call it ethnic cleansing, or you call it collateral damage, right? So this is, these are shaitan's tactics. He paints, he glosses over, and calls things by a different name, right? He approaches things from a different angle, so you don't see it as haram, astaghfirullah. You see it as, well, it's not so bad. You know, this isn't fraud. This is just you know, 
it's not even tax evasion. Whatever you want to call it, this is money laundering, like you're actually cleaning it. You know, so, <laughs> so he, calls it, he calls it by different names, right? And he phrases it as a question, right? A question is not as threatening as saying, go to that tree, right? He's, shall I show you? There's no, there's no harm in me showing you, right? So that's what he does. And lastly, he plants FOMO in their minds, this fear of missing out, okay? And what he does, he does that by, again, his favorite tool of justification. So what he says, he says, قَالَ مَا نَهَاكُمَا رَبُّكُمَا عَنْ هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَكُونَ مَلَكَيْنَ أَوْ تَكُونَ مِنَ الْخَالِدِينَ He's saying Allah hasn't forbidden you from this tree except that you might become angels or you might get to live in it forever. Right? They knew that they were destined for earth. Eventually they were going to go there. And this is a beautiful place. So he's saying, well, you guys are going to miss out. Right? The only reason you've been told not to eat from it is because you're going to be angels and you're going to get to live in it forever, right? So he's saying it's not that big a deal to eat from the tree, right? Allah hasn't forbidden you in that way. He's just forbidden you in this way, right? So that justification and also planting that fear that they're going to miss out on something so important if they don't eat from it, okay? And also while he's doing that, he's speaking from a place of authority. By, say, by speaking for God and saying, Allah hasn't forbidden you because of this, He's forbidden you because of that. <coughs> and that's how he approaches it. From a place of authority that assumes to know better than God. Okay? Um, and that's what he does with them. These are, these are all the tactics that he uses and all the different angles to get them to eat from the tree. And Allah then warns us too. He warns Adam's children. Again, very emphatically, in no uncertain terms. He says, Ya Bani Adam, La yaftinannakum shaytan kama akhraja abawaykum min al-jannati. Again, that nun shadda, right? Do not let shaytan tempt you as he expelled your parents from the garden. Yanziru anhuma libasahuma. He stripped them of their garments to expose their nakedness to them. إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ Him and his tribe see you from where you don't see them. We've indeed made these devils friends of those who have no faith. Okay, so he's very, very clear that they are not your friends. Shaitan is not your friend. Take him as an enemy and things like that. Now, many places, he says, فَاتَّخِذُوهُ adua." Take him as an enemy. Now, there's many places in the Qur'an where you have mention of enemies. If you look up the word adu, there's loads of enemies, we're told, right? There's the kuffar, there's the munafiqeen. It says even among your wives and your children are enemies for you. Your, your parents can be enemies. The Jews and the Christians can be enemies. But in all those places, Allah describes a situation, and, but he doesn't tell you to take them as enemies, treat them as enemies, okay? He may tell you not to adopt them as allies, don't adopt them as close friends. Um, but there's always room there for pardon, for excuse, for brotherhood, for love. There's, it's always within a context. It's not so absolute. Okay? There's always an ayah of an alternative approach if they change their ways. But this is the only one we're, ta we're told to and charged and commanded to take as an en enemy very emphatically. So there's no alternative. There's no notion of trusting him at all.
Okay. Um, so this idea that he's stripped them of their garments is that essentially Allah has given us a sense of shame. Right? He's, it's essential within us that we have a sense of covering. Be it metaphorical, maybe, maybe they didn't have clothing or actual garments, but they had a sense of shame and a sense of covering, which shaitan takes away from them. So now, these are some of his strategies against us. Okay, so against the children of Adam that we see in the Quran. And you'll see they're very, very similar to what he did with Adam and Hawa. So the first thing is, وَزَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ He made their sins decorous or embellish their deeds to them. فَصَدَّهُمْ عَنِ السَّبِيلِ وَكَانُوا مُسْتَبْصِرِينَ So here he's talking about, the context is the people of Adam and Thamud, which were the ancestors of the Arabs at the time. And they were what we know now as having been the Nabataeans very, very sophisticated civilizations um, who are able to carve um, dwellings and structures into rocks. Um, so Allah calls them uh, perceptive. They used to be perceptive, right? They were very intelligent people. You couldn't say that they, you know, they, they weren't idiots. But yet shaitan made their deeds decorous to them. He embellished their deeds and he made their wrongdoing a good thing. So again, he uses that tool of justification, of, of distorting reality. Um, and again, it's that presumptuousness that Allah, this is what Allah means and not that. Okay. Um, secondly, this is an interesting one, he induces a state of forgetfulness. Okay. So, إِسْتَحْوَذَ عَلَيْهِمُ الشَّيْطَانِ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ Shaitan has prevailed upon them and has caused them to forget the remembrance of Allah. Now, in another place in the Quran, Allah says, and he talks about Adam as well. He says, We made a covenant with Adam before, but he forgot. And we didn't, we didn't find determination in Adam. Right? So Allah's describing Adam in this way that he forgot quite easily. He'd made, he'd made a pact with God. There was, there was you know, a, a command there, and Adam forgot. He was complacent. So shaitan attacks that. He induces a state of forgetfulness, or he preys on our complacency. Right? We make resolutions all the time. Right? Hajj time, Arafah, special days, Laylatul Qadr, New Year's, all of that. And within, within a few days, we even forgot we made the resolutions. Forget, forget not keeping them. That's something else, right? Breaking them is something else. But we forgot, we, we forgot we even made that, right? So it's that making us forget the, the resolve that we have. Um, and there's many places in the Quran that you see this. So for example, in the story of Prophet Yusuf, when he's in the, when he's in the prison cell and one of his, one of his inmates the one he saw in the dream who gets, who gets a release and he tells him, mention me to your master, right? And tell them that I'm in here. And it says, shaitan made him forget. So he forgot for several years, Prophet Yusuf remained there because the guy forgot everything that Prophet Yusuf did for him. Even Prophet Musa, when he goes and he's supposed to meet Khidr at this place where the two seas meet, right? And the sign is supposed to be that when his fish goes into the water, that's where he's supposed to meet him. 
And he goes way past and he says, فَأَنْسَانِ الشَّيْطَانُ Right? Shaytan made me forget about the fish. So there's this notion of when you're not focused on your goal or you're not focused on your resolutions and on your, um, and on your actions, you can have this state of forgetfulness that he brings about. Next, he sows enmity and discord. And again, that's through that same psychology of superiority, this imagined superiority over each other. Okay? So it says, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانِ Shaytan wants أَنْ يُقِعَ بَيْنَكُمُ الْعَدَاوَةَ وَالْبَغْدَاءَ He seeks to cast enmity and hatred amongst you. فِي الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ Especially through wine and gambling. Those are very easy to sow enmity and discord among people. Right? You just have to get them drunk, get them a little, a little you know, tipsy on the fruit machines, and they can, they can punch somebody. Right? So... He sows enmity and discord. That's quite easy. He erodes away their shield. Okay, so وَيَصُدُّكُمْ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَعَنِ الصَّلَاةِ So he blocks you from remembering Allah and Salat. And this is an especially good ayah. It says, Allah addresses the believers actually. So that's all of us. He says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ Don't follow shaitan's footsteps. And then he tells you what happens to somebody who does. وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعْ خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Whoever follows shaitan's footsteps, he commands to indecency and wrongdoing. Now this, the, these two words, fahsha and munkar, are really important. Um, this kind of, and it's, it uses the word command. Now we know, we're believers too, like, you know, th that's what we claim to be. Shaitan doesn't just command us to, in, you know, go and do an in, indecent thing and we do it, right? Or go and do something wrong and we do it. We're more careful than that. It's not like an amr. But there comes a point where you do something wrong and you feel like, I can't, I can't help it, right? Something overcame me. Something overpowered me. I'm just stuck in this mess. I'm stuck in sin. I'm stuck in a vicious cycle of, you know, of what I, I don't know why I did it. And, and there's a place where you're at where you feel you can't help it. Right? That's يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ But to get to that place, you've got to follow his footsteps. Now what he uses, that same phrase, fahsha and munkar, is used one other place in the Qur'an. And that's where Allah talks about salah. So he says, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Salah prevents you, it acts as a shield against Fahsha and munkar, indecency and wrong. So what shaitan does to be able to get to the believers, he attacks your shield first, right? To be able to infiltrate a bank for a heist, you've got to take out the security system, right? To be able to do anything, like when even in these movies where they, you know, to be able to enter a building, first you've got to take out, knock out the security guard. Salah is our security guard, right? Allah tells us that. Yantanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar. That's how then he's able to command you. Once he makes you take your salah lightly, miss a couple here and there, you know, fajr so early, fajr so late, whatever the case, I overslept, my alarm, this, that, the other. Once he makes you take salah lightly and erodes away that shield, then he's able to actually um, suggest indecent things and wrong things. But whilst your salah is intact, he can't.
Okay? So that phrase fahsha and munkar is very, very interesting in how Allah uses it in the Quran in both places. Um, and it doesn't, his prompting or his commanding doesn't happen overnight. It's not, we're believers. He's not just going to say, do this, and we're going to say yes. Right? We know better. And he knows we know better. So he attacks from our salah. And he frightens us with poverty. Okay? So Allah says, الشيطان يعدكم الفقر ويأمركم again بالفحشاء Shaytan threatens you. He scares you with poverty. Right? The thought that I'm going to I'm not going to have enough to live on, so I need to take under, you know, use underhanded means, or the thought that the future is going to be so bleak, and the thought that, you know, somehow I'm not going to make it. So he constantly threatens us with poverty. That's one of his tactics that he uses. This this anxiety about the future and what's going to happen. Okay. Um, and so these are just some of his tactics that he uses with um, with us. And you'll, you, you may have noticed that they're very similar to what he used with Adam and Hawa, right? It's this fear of what's going to happen or this fear of um, how they're going to cope. And also this commanding us to do obscene things, which I spoke about. Um, so just to summarize them, okay? into kind of to condense them. The first thing was this extremely gra gradual baiting. That's a, that's a key tactic of shaitans. It doesn't happen overnight, okay? It's something that very, very, very slowly, he kind of attacks your morality, your sense of right and wrong, your, your principles, your values, things like that. Before you even go to commit anything, it's, and often through that sense of shame, Okay, once our sense of shame goes, then we don't feel so bad, right? The guilt and things like that. Secondly, we said this illusion and deception through inciting fear. Now, they say fear is just an acronym for false evidence appearing real. Okay, that's just a clever way of remembering that fear is not, doesn't have substance to it. But that's what shaitan uses and it's a good way of remembering that he threatens you with fear of poverty fear of other people fear of the other right through his superiority that other people are less than than us um, and inciting hatred and animosity and seeing people as be beneath us and fearing them and you see that even with this whole white supremacist thing right the, the supremacy comes from this perceived fear of a Muslim invasion or perceived fear of the other right it's a very shaitani attitude because that's what he had too. That this, this Adam made of clay is going to take his position. Um, even the fear of missing out, like we said, right? The fear that there's something there that, you know, everybody else is making it big in the world and we're not, right? There must be some trick we're missing in, you know, and fear that we're missing out on some kind of eternal life, some kind of eternal youth, some, you know, there's always this illusion being sold to us that you know you're, grow, you're you're aging. There must be you know you need to you need to that you know engage in something anti-aging because this is so wrong. How dare you age? You know, or there, there's this constant fear that we're missing out, fear of annihilation, right? The fear that we're going to die. Life expectancy is such a big deal, right? You're going to die. 
you need to do something and live longer. Um, and this fear of losing something that we don't possess in the first place, right? They, they didn't have this this kingdom that's never going to decay and you're going to be angels and you're going to live forever, right? These empty promises that, we, that, that aren't even in our hands, but that's what is promised to us, right? The propaganda, the advertising, the, consumer you know, the consumerism, all of that that's painted in front of us to make us want that which is beyond our reach and to make us feel that we're always missing out, okay? And this is what leads to that despair, that sense of, you know, where we don't trust in God anymore and, and become like shaitan essentially where we're just kind of biding our time, but that connection with Allah is lost. And it's taken away our trust in our God. The other thing was sabotaging our security systems. Right? So things that Allah has given us to protect us, our dhikr of remembering Allah and our salah, the main things that Allah has put in place for us constantly. And Allah says, whoever turns away from our remembrance, then shaitan at attaches himself. Then he becomes his best friend. Right? Then, then you have no excuse because you've been given the security. Right? You've been given shields in place. But if you turn away from them, if you take them lightly, then, then of course he's going to be your best friend because you've let him, you've, you've opened the door and allowed him entrance into your heart. You didn't use your locks that I gave you. You didn't use your gates and you didn't use your alarm system. Okay, and lastly, that eroding away the sense of shame and guilt with the justification of what and the audacity of yes, but we know better, yes, but Allah meant this, and no, he didn't mean that, and, and things like that. So this kind of summarizes what his tactics are. Um, again, I know there's a lot to take in, um, but hopefully when you read those ayat yourselves, it will, it will trigger when you read, you know, فَدَلَّهُمَا بِغُرُورُ You can imagine a bucket and, you know, hopefully the language also will make it easier to remember. Um, so next week, inshallah, we'll wrap it all up and we'll look at the antidotes. Okay, we'll look at each, each different tactic and what Allah has put in place. I mean, we've mentioned some of them here already. Um, but how much control does he actually have? over us, right? How far can he actually go? And what has Allah taught us in the Quran to protect us from shaitan? And the, they say the biggest trick the devil ever pulled, right? Out of all these toolboxes, the biggest, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist, right? That's from Devil's Advocate. <laughs> but it's an, it's an actual, it's an actual saying. I think Milton has it as well. Um, so yeah, you say God's name and it's quite, you know, in civilized society, but you say the devil's name and that's like, what's that? Right, so it's convincing us. And that's, that's why questions arise as to, yes, but does he actually whisper? Is there such a thing? Is it just our own nafs? And is it just our own imagination? And you know, so it's that. That's the greatest trick, is making us feel as if we're all alone, it's just us. And there's no such thing as shaitan. But the way, I, I don't know, I felt that when I was researching, the way that his presence is emphasized by Allah so much is that it is a reality that as believers is part and parcel of our faith, right? 
The Quran has been sent for alladina yu'minuna bil ghaib, the people who believe in the unseen, and unseen, and be that you know the angels and all of that, but also Allah's plan, right? It's to trust in Allah's plan and to trust that what He has is there for our benefit. Um, so, inshallah, we'll look at the the vaccinations and antidotes against all these. Support Al Mahdi Institute. Visit almahedi.edu.